0: Hello, I'm Mike Apatria and I'm the host of the Hoop Ball DFS Today podcast. Come join us as we go game by game, breaking down our top plays, fades, values, pivots, and talk overall strategy for both tournaments and cash games. And the best part, we're doing this seven days a week. So come check us out. That's Hoop Ball DFS Today. And you can follow me on Twitter at Mike Apatria for any updates, listener contests and DFS information. The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good morning, Blazer fans. I had to do it. I had to do it. You guys know I'm a Laker fan, so I'm smarting a little bit from the games last night. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Vespris at Dan Vespris on Twitter, D A N B E S B R I S. This is a hoopball presentation hoopball.com, the website at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter, uh, at HoopBallLakers, Lakers. If you want to follow those guys, Ethan and uh, JC. What a uh, What a mess, right? What a mess. <laughs> Lakers are a mess. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on at the podcast. Today's show will largely be spent breaking down the card tonight, mostly from a betting standpoint. We do have Adam King coming up on the podcast tomorrow. We'll be talking a little bit about some of the things we're looking towards next season, whatever the hell that actually turns out to be. And then we'll wrap up the pod on a Friday. Uh, might have Brewski on the show on Friday. I know that he's been uh, buried under it. He's had a bunch of meetings this week, which uh, can cloud an already muddied set of availabilities, especially with my end being so tight here anyway. But uh, if not this week, then we'll get Brew back on next week, talk uh, some playoff stuff as well. Uh, also wanted to bring up some series prices. We'll talk a little bit about that on the playoff angle as well and just kind of what each game means as these numbers bounce back and forth. And if you wanted to jump in on that, there are other ways to do it. But again, a reminder here, folks: we're basically out of the fantasy landscape for a little bit. We'll do some fantasy stuff. We're going to talk fantasy uh, with Adam tomorrow. You know, as as news breaks, as little things trickle out, we will uh, we'll address them. But for the most part, I, I mean, ninety to ninety-five percent of the time, right now there just there isn't really fantasy stuff to do because we already did postmortems on every team things are not changing here in the bubble the way we feel about particular players there might be some nuances some players that you know changed our opinion a little bit and we'll you know those guys are coming up and at some point i will do a couple shows maybe we'll spend a week i don't know breaking down bubble rankings and how that all went but i had not too much time on that because the 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 hope is that we'll never have to do another 22 team 8 game sprint like this one. So, um you just you know, you don't want to sink too much time into something that's going to have no bearing on anything we do in the future. So let's dive on in. First uh, game coming up in an hour as per usual, so we really have to kind of hightail it on the the first show uh, first game breakdown on the pod. And that's Brooklyn at Toronto. Raptors are an half point favorite in that game, which is, by the way, bigger. They were a 9.5-point favorite at closing line on the game on Monday, and they won it by 24. So not surprisingly, that number has moved up. The question is, what was your takeaway from that Monday game? What was your takeaway from that Monday game? Brooklyn shot 46.5%. Uh, Toronto shot 47%. There was there was a half percentage point, five one 5 one-thousandths separating the two teams. And yet, Brooklyn lost by 24. If you want to dig into it a little bit deeper, Brooklyn had three additional turnovers. Toronto shot 17 additional free throws. That's a real big one because Brooklyn only hit uh, 68, 69% of their only 16 free throws. And Toronto missed one. They went 32 for 33, which is pretty wild. Uh, Toronto hit 22 three-pointers. Brooklyn only hit 13. So there was some stuff kind of in between the numbers that told more of a story. Number one, Freddie Van Fleet hitting eight three-pointers in that game was a bit of an outlier. He's been really good in the playoffs. Make no mistake, he's been outstanding. We had him really high on our our resumption draft board, and you should add him high on your playoff draft board because he's fixing to get paid. Serge Ibaka was very good. He goes high usage when he gets on the floor. Actually, second highest of anyone on the team. Somehow, Marcus Soul had higher usage than Serge Ibaka. I can't quite put my finger on how that makes any sense. And uh, then Pascal Siakam, he struggled. He was, it was really the one Raptor to have what you'd call ultimately kind of a bad ball game. Lowry didn't shoot the ball well, but he had his usual rebounds, assists, threes, seven free throws. All that stuff kind of balanced things out. He and Van Fleet. And Ananobi played pretty good minutes in that game. OG probably would have played more, but he ended up with five fouls in 34 minutes, or he probably would have been at 36 or 37 as well. And frankly, they went, to, uh, they went to scrubs the last two and a half, three minutes of the game also. So you might have seen Lowry and Van Vliet over 40 minutes if this game was contested in any meaningful way. Something to keep an eye on, Toronto's minutes could go up for some of their starters. The other side of this is uh, Timotei Luauwakabarou. Joe Harris actually played relatively well in that game on Monday. I would argue Jared Allen actually played relatively well in that game on Monday. Karis LeVert had 15 assists but did not shoot the ball well. Garrett Temple didn't shoot the ball either. And they went pretty heavy on starters with the exception of TLC taking the place of Rodion's Kureks, and they just went sort of uh, a little smaller. Garrett Temple, Joe Harris ended up as kind of a stretch four, which you can get away with when Toronto's playing Ananobi at power forward, which was not that infrequent, but uh, certainly not the entire ballgame. Okay. So do we think Brooklyn puts up a better fight in this ballgame? Because by all accounts, they actually shot the ball relatively well against a good Toronto defense. Dante Hall missed two free throws. Not a good foul shooter anyway. Um... and then the other, I mean, the others, the rest of the story on the free throw side is that everyone, basically everyone, just missed one. If you had a free throw, you missed it, pretty much. And then you made the rest of them. Levert went five for six, Allen three for four, Luau Kabaro, two for three. And so that those five misses add up. It looks like a bigger deal than it probably is. You say, all right, well, you left, you know, maybe two points at the free throw line. But they just got out-free throwed by such a wide margin in this game Is that something they can fix? Can they stay out of foul trouble? Can they stop sending Toronto to the line 33 times, guys? And it wasn't like this was a late foul situation where they racked up four, six, eight free throws in the last 45 seconds. This game was a blowout. Do they call the game differently in any way? So I look at that, and I see 32 points for one team at the free throw line and 11 for the other. That's the difference in the ball game. I, get, I mean, yes, nine three-pointers, it makes a difference as well. Uh, but look, the game was a 24-point spread. The final score was 24 points separating the two teams. 20-plus of those 24 came at the free-throw line. Can Brooklyn compete? More than that, they can. So I like Brooklyn in this early game as you're looking at lines for these particular stuff. If you have an opportunity to squeeze one in there, can Toronto pour it on? Yeah, they could play better. Lowry could play better. Siakam could play better. Van Vliet will probably play worse. So this could swing a few different ways. I, You know, it's just hard to look at a game separated by 24 points and say, could it be closer? Yeah, it could absolutely be closer. Um, so if you're looking at getting down on anything before this ballgame, I would look at getting down on the Brooklyn side. Um, the pace of that last one got a bit out of hand. And again, you know, if there's not... If Toronto doesn't take thirty, you have 32 points at the free-throw line, the final total of this one was 244. The total of the game today sits at 226. You shave 15-20 free-throws off if you get down to that number somehow. Uh, and you get much closer to this total as well. So, I, you know, I think the total is pretty, is pretty tight. Um, you're going to see a lot of money coming in on the over. I would lean to the under, uh, mostly just because I think you see fewer foul shots in this game I don't know how the field goal percent stuff changes. It might be close to the same stuff. As a series grinds on, too, teams start to figure each other out a little bit. So, leans to Brooklyn and the under in this early game. Second game on the docket, Utah, four-point underdogs against Denver. That game went to overtime. The line was right. That's the thing. I mean, Utah was the side in that game, right? If the game goes to overtime, the underdog was the side. They ended up getting clubbed in OT, and that kind of screwed things up. The uh, the really interesting stuff, number one is these two games flip-flopped in time as opposed to just having a team in a particular time slot. Final total of this game in overtime was 260. The total going into the game was 215. It has been adjusted up by only two and a half points. And I get it, you know, 20-some-odd points got put up in overtime, but they still went way over the mark in regulation. Uh, Donovan Mitchell... 57 points, that probably isn't happening again. I've got to think these games start to slow down a little bit. I actually think Denver plays better in this one than they did in the first one. Utah, to me, played the better game. Denver made a lot of shots. I think you start to see a little bit more defense because there weren't that many free throws in this game. Only 41 combined free throws in this ballgame. We just talked about one where there were about 50. And this one went to overtime and was close. Figure that one out. Ten fewer free throws in five extra minutes. Big discrepancy there. So uh, lean to the under as well in this second game. No feelings on the side. Philly, four and a half point underdogs at Boston. This is probably a pretty accurate line as well. Boston was favored by six in the first one. They ended up winning by eight. It was a close ball game. Philly actually led by, I think, two buckets early in the fourth quarter. Boston just played better in the fourth quarter. That's what a lot of these tight playoff games are going to come down to. Gordon Hayward is out for 4 weeks. Uh that doesn't change my line on this game all that much. I you know Marcus Smart slotting in, already playing big minutes. But, you know they, they'll just they'll chew up a few more. You'll probably see I don't know, a couple more minutes of maybe semi Ojale gets in there. Uh, maybe Brad Wanamaker chews up two or three extra minutes. Maybe Tice even plays a few more at center. They 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 stay in a more traditional lineup in this one. They'll be fine. Um, you know the thing that Boston's always going to run into is that Joel Embiid is going to get their guys in foul trouble. But otherwise, know um, This this is this is a grinder. Total of that first game ended at 210. It went under the mark of 217. Boston covered the six and yet the number came down, which is unusual. That makes me feel like, when I see this, that makes me feel like one of two things is happening. Either a bunch of money came in on Philadelphia, or they knew a bunch of money was going to come in on Philadelphia. One of those two things. And so they had to bring this number down to try to ensure that some money would come in on the Boston side. This is, this is begging for action on Boston. Four and a half after winning by, more, by, winning, by covering the spread... In their last one. Total is 215.5 in this ball ballgame. Uh, that's down from 217.5. I think that's pretty accurate. This is probably going to be a fight. This series is going to be a slog. You're going to see the Sixers run it through the post a lot with Embiid. Because that's their massive advantage. And finally, the Clippers favored by 6 over Dallas. Again, Clippers were favored by 6 in that first game. Went up to 6.5. Uh, looks like you can get it at 6 or 6.5 at, at different places, depending... I like the Clippers again. You know, they. I think Vegas felt like they had that line right in game one, so they're not going to mess with it. Total was at 231. It ended at 228 in that first game. No reason to move that much. It's at 230. So they're just saying, look, roll it, run it back. I think we had the right line this first time around. We're going to run it back. And I'm good with that. I think the Clippers uh, win again. I think they probably cover by a point or two again. Relatively decent line. Um the total is uh, pretty accurate. I don't know that having Porzingis changes the total much. In fact, they they probably play faster when he's not responsible for stuff. I mean Luca's the guy that gets him into their offense the quickest. More Luca initiating means more offense. I probably would look at the under if anything. Start to again these series start to grind a little bit. You might just split a unit over all four unders today and see what happens. I bet at least two of them hit probably more like three. In looking at all of this stuff, the, the thing that I would say probably intrigues me the most of these lines is the Jazz Nuggets under because eventually someone's going to have to start playing some defense. I like Brooklyn catching eleven and a half. I like the Sixers. The Sixers might win this game. You might want to throw a shekel on that plus 170. And then that last one is relatively accurate. I think I like the Clippers. Probably the play in that last ballgame, if you're going to have one. Uh, series prices is the other thing I want to talk about right now, since they adjust after each and every series has a game. Uh, believe it or not, to bet the Bucks, you still have to lay 600 to win 10. It's a plus 6,000 opening odds. It is lower after losing the opening game, but still nobody believes the Magic are going to win it. Uh, and they're probably right. They're probably right. Not going to touch that one. Not with a 10-foot pole. Same deal, Toronto and Brooklyn. Toronto is a minus 100,000 favorite. They are effectively considered a wrap. Brooklyn plus 2,500. No, thank you. Boston, Philly. Uh, if you like Philly, this is an opportunity, but I don't think anybody thinks they're going to get past the Celtics. I, I mean, anything could happen. This is a coin flip. Uh, slight advantage to Boston. What, 65, 35, 60, 40, something like that? The fact that you can get plus 500 on the Sixers right now is kind of intriguing. I know they're missing Ben Simmons and that hurts them, but they're not, I mean, they're not a bad team. You can see when they really hunkered down, they were quite good during the regular season when they hunkered down. I don't know, probably not touching it. Series prices are tough, too. I mean, you have money wrapped up for a while. You just, you need to be very patient in this regard. Uh, but I, I think this is an opportunity if you, if you think the Sixers win game two, which, by the way, um, you know, looking at the line and looking at the way game one went, just sitting on the edge of a, a precipice here. You, you could very easily see the Sixers win this game. In which case, then that line flips back hard in another direction. So maybe throw a little bit on the Sixers series price. Heat at minus eight hundred. Pacers plus five hundred. Uh, I don't know what's going on with Victor Oladipo. I can't touch this one until we know what's up with him. I actually had some money on Indy in that first game, and they were they were out playing the Heat until Oladipo went down. It was it was one to one basically. They hung in there. Give them credit. They hung in there. But they were outplaying Miami, and then after Oladipo went out, they were just sort of clinging until finally they ran out of gas late. They they don't have a shot without their superstar. None. And, I mean, down Oladipo, Demontis Sabonis, and Jeremy Lamb, that's a rough way to go. Lakers minus 210, Blazers plus 175. Um, this is This is an opportunity if you like the Lakers. If you still think they're going to win this series. I think I do... I going to talk about that. I'm going to come back to that series in just a second. So let's let's jump over that one. But I have I have thoughts on that series, and, and we'll we'll get into some of these. Um, I'm reading it in the order that they're Eastern then Western Conference. So it's not in order of when the games are happening. Clippers minus 1500, Dallas plus 775. Nope, not touching that one. Denver minus 500, Jazz plus 350. Getting in on Denver before this series started was probably the way to go at about minus 220. That was a pretty good price they're likely going to win this series, whether or not Mike Conley plays. Uh, OKC, Houston, that number didn't change very much. Uh, Rockets were a a medium favorite. They're now sort of a medium hat slash large favorite in the series. OKC at plus 275. I said it before, I think the Rockets win this series. I don't think the Thunder have the firepower. OK, let's talk about what happened yesterday and then how that ties into some of these series prices. First of all... How bad did Milwaukee look? Yikes. As bad as the Lakers looked in the nightcap, Milwaukee was just not even remotely focused on this game. Vooch had 35 and 14. James Ennis had 11 and 8. Gary Clark had 15 and 6. DJ Augustine double doubled as he does in first games of postseasons. They might get Aaron Gordon back for the next one, but this had to be the wake up call. Right? Because Giannis went for 31 and 17, missed a ton of free throws, shot sub 50% on 25 shots from the field. He was super inefficient. Eric Bledsoe, in watching the way the game went, to me, looked like the only player that was even remotely locked in, and he only logged 28 minutes. George Hill played okay, but I mean, the Bucks were a loss. They were a mess, dude. Chris Middleton, uh, four for 12, four for six at the free throw line, 16 turnovers. Nine of them between Giannis and Middleton. Brooke Lopez, horrible. This is one of the worst games I think the Bucs have played all year. So as you look towards their next one, there will be opportunities in this. Milwaukee was catching 14 points. One of the biggest upsets in playoff history to, to be a 14-point underdog and then win outright by 12. Every step of the way during this game, as I was watching, I was thinking, okay, at some point, Milwaukee is going to start taking them seriously at some point I I don't you know I when is it going to be I don't know I thought maybe it would be late in the first half they started to shave off they were down 18 remember at that point they shaved it down to 10 and then first thing in the second half they shaved it down to one they were down one point it was like oh okay this is where we you know you hit the reset button and then all of a sudden Orlando just came pushing back Milwaukee never really took them seriously Um they'll be they'll be fine. Milwaukee will be fine. Miami beat Indiana 113-101. This game was much closer than that final score would indicate. Uh Victor oladipo questionable for their next game. He only managed to play 8 minutes. I know he didn't look great. He had four points and a steal, but it was his defense. Strips, not letting guys get past him. He was changing the game. And then because Indy is already so hamstrung with no Jeremy Lamb, and uh, Aaron Holiday in horrendous foul trouble in this game, he only played 16 minutes because he had four fouls and then he just sort of never got back into the flow, there was a lot of Edmund Sumner in this game. I mean, this is not the guy Indy wanted to play. He is their fourth choice for the guy that needed to be playing 27 minutes at a wing position. 27 minutes to Edmund Sumner. Supposed to go to Victor Oladipo. If it's not going to go to him, it's supposed to go to Jeremy Lamb. If it's not going to go to him, it's supposed to go to Aaron Holiday. So they were four rungs down the board. And that, by the way, was already using Justin Holiday, who played quite well, mind you, uh, for 32 minutes. Malcolm Brogdon played 39 minutes because they had no choice. This team is so beat up right now. Down three... Not necessarily starters, but two starters in their sixth man? That's brutal. Miles Turner never really had an open look. He played pretty good defense, but never really had an open look. TJ Warren tried to do it with Brogdon. Those two guys tried to do it themselves, but they just they needed help. Goran Dragic hit some big shots in the fourth. Jimmy Butler hit back-to-back three-pointers as one of the worst three-point shooters in the NBA this year. Adebayo was great. To me, he was the guy that actually won them that game. That was a BAM game. When he was out, Indy was able to get stuff on offense, and they were able to defend Miami better. BAM's ability to set screens and make passes changes the way teams play defense. He just hits guys on the run the way other big men can't. He can see over people. So then Miles Turner had to come out on him, try to make passing more difficult, and he was able to just sort of go around him. Uh, Heat are going to win this series if, if Oladipo misses any kind of significant time. That's just it. If he comes back, they've got a shot. Simple as that. Houston beat up on OKC. This game got ugly early. Gallo, who, by the way, uh, shout out to Stephen Williams over on our DFS side. He mentioned Gallo is one of his favorite plays on the board because he's the guy that has the advantage in this series matchup. Uh, and, he, and he took advantage of it because he's going to be playing against Guys like Daniel House, uh, Ben McLemore, often as small forward, power forward. Sometimes he's going to get Rob Covington, and uh, Rocco can give him some fits. But uh, he has an edge with Houston being so very small that Gallo can just shoot over people. And he had nine free throws. I mean, he did his usual stuff. Chris Paul was very good, twenty ten and 9. But uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander never really got into the mix. Uh, Dennis Schroeder looked like a guy who'd been out for a bit. He had six points and four assists. They need to get something from those two guys to compete. And on the other side, and this is maybe the more important factor from this game, they need to slow down Houston. Harden had 37 and 11. Uh, very few assists for James. It looked like OKC was actually content to let Harden try to do a bunch of stuff. And, you know, if he's going to make. Most of his shots, that strategy doesn't work. And then Jeff Green comes out of the wings to hit for 22 points on 12 shots. And Houston had 23s. But this is what we talked about with Houston. There's so much variance in the way their games can go. They could hit 23 pointers and win by 15. Next game, they could hit 10 three-pointers and lose by 15. Those same shots might just not go in. Simple as that. Without those 10 three-pointers, they score 93 points in this game. With those 10 three-pointers, they score twenty three. So if you liked playing this series, keep watching it. That's a, that's a live series to, to play and interesting wagers to make. And then finally, and this is the one I want to focus on for a few minutes, Portland and L.A. Portland won 100-93 in a game that, frankly, the Lakers probably should have won by 10. I don't know what that means... In terms of how this series is going to go. But it's a game the Lakers should have won by 10. And I'll tell you why. Because I've been scouring Twitter and finding out reasons why. The eye test told us that the Lakers should have been winning that series. There was a point during the second quarter of that Lakers-Blazers game yesterday. Where the Blazers had scored 9 points in the quarter. All at the free throw line. Portland had a lot of free throws early in that basketball game. An absolute truckload that kept them in it. Or the Lakers would have been winning that game by 5 or 6 at that point instead of, I think, being down 2 or 3. That's how that was going. Secondly, Portland hit really difficult shots. Really difficult shots. McCollum had a contested 3, a contested 2. Dame hit those back-to-back 35-footers which I get it. He works on that shot and he shot 40% on it during the regular season. But look, even 40% still means that you're going to miss more than you're going to make. And he hit two of them in a row. And then Gary Trent hit a three pointer, although his was more open. That's the one where you're like, Oh, that one makes sense. Even though he was, you know, the worst player of the three guys, to hit a key. I think it was Gary Trent. Mello hit one late also, but the game was mostly decided by that point. Uh, Portland had 13 threes in the game, and I can distinctly remember four of them right at the very end. And three of those four were really hard, really difficult threes. Meanwhile, and this is an interesting stat, uh, shout out to the guys over at uh, the B-Ball Index for posting some of this stuff. Alex Regla, who's a pretty interesting Twitter follow, noted that according to the NBA's tracking data, 27 of the Lakers' 35 three-pointers yesterday were either open or wide open. Can you believe that? Only eight of their 35 were considered guarded in any capacity. 16 of the 35 were considered wide open, meaning no one contesting. Want to know how many of the... Of those 16, the Lakers made 13%. Two. They went two for 16 on wide open three pointers. Let's forget for just the open three pointers. They went two for 16 on wide open three pointers. What happened to this team? What happened? It's unfathomable. I just, I can't, I I don't know what to make of it. They were horrible, the entire bubble. And almost all of it is just that they cannot hit a shot. Look at what the Lakers did right before the shutdown. Coming out of the All-Star break, actually, if you want to look back at the All-Star break, the Lakers beat the Grizzlies, beat the Celtics in a wild one, beat the Pelicans, beat the Warriors... Lost to the Grizzlies in a game that they were floating. Beat the Pelicans again. Beat the Sixers by 13. Beat the Bucks by 10. Beat the Clippers by 9. Those were the last three games the Lakers played before the shutdown. They beat the Sixers by 13 in a game that L.A. just trounced them in the second and the third quarters. Just absolutely trounced them. A.D. had 37 and 13. There was no Joel Embiid in that game, by the way for the record. LeBron had 22, 7, and 14. The Lakers went 13 for 33 from three-point land. That's 39%. Lakers beat the Bucks by 10, 113, 103, in a game where, frankly, they pretty much owned it, despite Giannis having 32 and 11. Lakers shot six for 32 from three-point land in that game. 19% and they still won it by 10. It's not entirely clear how they pulled that one off. Uh well they went 31 for 38 at the free throw line. So they they won the free throw battle and beat the Bucks. They beat the Clippers by 9, 112 to 103 in a game that they pretty much led wire to wire. Lakers only shot 29% from three-point range in that ball game. But still they made 10 out of 35. You know, the Lakers were not what you'd call a majestic three-point shooting team this year. You know, they weren't one of the best. They tried to come up with ways to put three-point shooters around LeBron James. They did. They tried. It wasn't... Uh, it wasn't perfect. You know, We they Danny Green, very streaky. They shot 35% from downtown, I believe, for the years. 34.9% from downtown, 55% from two-point range. But here's the thing. This is what's important. The Lakers were the number one field goal percent shooting team in the NBA during the regular season at 48%. Number one ahead of the Pacers, the Bucks, the Nuggets, the Spurs. Those are the other teams at the top of the board. Number one. Three-point percentage, eh, not great. They were bottom. They were like 20th, I think. Not great. Not horrific. The thing is, the things, you know, the numbers separating these teams in three point land. If the Lakers had made like five more three pointers, they probably would have been middle of the pack (laughs) over the entire year. That's that's how little that changes. Um, 35%. 35%. Portland, by the way. Uh, a better three-point shooting team, not surprisingly. They were number three in the NBA at 37.7%, but field goal percent overall, they were at 46.3, which is very much middle of the pack. Now, admittedly, they didn't have Nurkic, uh, but Ian Whiteside, that's a fairly parallel number on field goal percent. So, you know, that number's not going to change all that much. Who are the Lakers missing in the bubble right now? Avery Bradley and Rajon Rondo. Those are not the guys that are supposed to carry your three-point percent. Right? Are they? Is this what was expected? Avery Bradley shot 36.4% from three this year, but he only took three and a half a game, made 1.3 out of 3.5. So, I mean, yeah, you know, they lost someone who would have brought their season mark up a little bit, but it's not really a difference maker. And Rondo, we all know with him, he fluctuates wildly, and it usually levels off to something not that great. He was at 32.8% this year. So the player's missing aren't the issue. Whether or not the threes are guarded isn't the issue. It's just that nobody's making them. No one's making them. It's mind-boggling, guys. It's absolutely positively mind-boggling. I Like, I can't, I cannot fathom it. And it's the whole bubble. It's the whole bubble. Look at three-point percentage. Uh, all right, can we get... Oh, man, I don't think I can sort it by bubble. That's a shame. Uh, you can sort it... You, I, there's a way to sort it by bubble and a playoff game, so we're just going to do that. Uh, look at the Lakers and what they've done in the uh, in the bubble and and in the playoffs. That's what we're going to put it all together, and we're going to look at those numbers. Nah, that's just giving me a per-game number and not a percentage. Look, you, just, you guys just have to believe me on this. The... The Lakers in the bubble have not shot at all. And then yesterday's game was particularly horrific. You want to break it down? I mean, why is it so damn hard to just get a full box score these days? What is wrong with these websites? None of them have the exact threes attempted and threes made. I want both. What the hell, man? How far do I have to look for this? There we go. It's so easy to find when you're on the fantasy website, but then when fantasy disappears, I'm like, I'm grasping its draws here. Uh, Blazers went 13 for 34 from three-point land yesterday. 13 for 34, almost the exact same mark as their percentage from two. Mello went two for five. Nurk one for two. Dame six for 13. McCollum three for eight. Gary Trent one for four. Hezonia was the only brickmeister in the bunch. He went 0 for two. The Lakers, 5 for 32. Sorry, not 35 three pointers yesterday. Anthony Davis, 0 for 5. LeBron, 1 for 5. Their two superstars went 1 for 10 from downtown. Everybody else went 4 for 22. That's still not good. Danny Green, 2 for 8. KCP had an 0 for 9 game and 0 for 5 from downtown. Kuzma, who actually hit a few big shots in that game, went 1 for 5 from three point land. Alex Caruso, 0 for 3. Well, by the way, playing very good defense, so kudos to Caruso. He earned his minutes yesterday. Markeith Morris, 1 for 1. The only Laker in the game yesterday who had a better than 25% mark from downtown. Unacceptable. I get it. I get it. Some of these guys were not great three-point shooters even during the regular season. I get it. Like, listen, Anthony Davis is a as a marvelous basketball player. He's not a great three-point shooter. He's not. He shot 33% from downtown. That's not good, but it's also not an offer. Even if he makes one and shoots 20% yesterday, that's a ball game. LeBron, one for five. Danny Green, if he makes three instead of eight. I mean, we're not asking for much out of the Lakers right now to be remotely close to where they need to be. So what does this mean going forward now? Lakers only had nine turnovers in that game yesterday, too. Like, all of the metrics pointed to the Lakers winning that ballgame. AD missed five free throws and shot eight for 24 from the field. LeBron was pretty good. 23, (laughs) 17, and 16. Hard to argue with LeBron. Dude needs help. And it's got to be better than that from AD. It's got to be better than that from AD. I know the, the numbers looked good, but he has to be better. Got to find a way to make some shots. You do. Because defensively, the Lakers were very good in that game. AD was actually quite good. Dwight Howard was stellar defensively in that game. He had a big impact in his 15 minutes. I don't even know why JaVale McGee was playing. (laughs) Uh, I know. He gives them a certain look, but not, not a look that I'm a super fan of. All right. So we've analyzed. We've broken this series down. We've looked at what the Lakers need to do. Um... Blazers got very lucky because if they don't make those four really hard three-pointers, they lose that game despite how poorly the Lakers played. Blazers didn't play that well. They played well enough. So the question really is, ultimately, can the Lakers hit a three-pointer? And I don't know. The answer to that question is I really don't know. Because if you go to just their bubble games, just the bubble games... Lakers against the Clippers, they actually hit 30% in that first game where none of their shots were going in. They they hit 30% against the Clippers to uh, to fire up the bubble season. Against the Raptors, uh, they hit 25, 10 for 40. Against the Jazz, and this was the one where everybody woke up a little bit, they still only hit 34.5%. But at least they got to roughly their season mark. Lakers got spanked by the Thunder and went 5-for-37 from downtown. 13.5%. They got spanked by the Rockets. Now, admittedly, there was no LeBron in that game. And went 2-for-19 from downtown. 10.5%. Lost to the Pacers. Pacers. Finally hit 33% of their three-pointers in that game, but didn't hit anything else. The Lakers, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with the Lakers. I, I, I don't know how to describe it. They had one game where they actually hit their threes, and it was one where they barely beat the Nuggets, who, by the way, also hit their threes in that game. <laughs> Denver, Denver shot 58% in that game and lost somehow. And then the Lakers, that finale, they played the Kings, but you know nobody that was in that game cared. No one played any defense and they hit 43% of their threes. You throw that one out where no one played any defense and things get real ugly. I don't know what they need to do, but they need to get out of their own heads. I actually do think the Lakers at some point hit a three-pointer. Like As bad as they've been, even if you look at the bubble, even if they had hit What did we say? It went 5 for 32 in that game yesterday. Was that the final mark? Just to make sure I'm getting this right. Yeah, 15.5% from downtown. I don't care how awful you are. You're not going to sustainably hit 15.5% from downtown. Even at a team's very worst, they'll probably settle somewhere in the 25% range, which I realize doesn't seem like much, but that's another roughly three three three-pointers in yesterday's game, and then they win it at any point. Just adding nine points to their total wins it, and that's without the total meltdown down the stretch. I think the Lakers scored six points the last seven minutes of that game. They will hit more three-pointers than this because they were wide open, and I know there's something weird going on, which is why the Lakers at minus 210 for the series is a really interesting wager. I don't think the Blazers win this series. I I mean, it's going to be a tough one because Nurk probably plays better at some point, but Lakers defensively are solid. You know, they're, they're not giving up easy stuff. The fact that they played as horribly as they did on offense and still probably should have won that game tells you that they still can. So I still like the Lakers to win the game. And we'll talk more about that uh, actual in game or the, the real line on tomorrow's podcast. Um, all of this stuff that we're talking about on the betting side is through our buddies over at mybookie.ag. Having a wing-ding over there betting my in-game stuff, my pregame lines, my series prices. They've got all the sports. They've got NBA, baseball, football when it starts, hockey, I should say if it starts. Uh, they got golf, they've got video games, they've got casino games, soccer, boxing, tennis, international baseball, you name it, they've got it. Live in-game lanes lines are super fun. They have sweet uh, sign-up bonuses Which you can get. By the way, you can unlock some special ones by using the code hoopball when you sign up. The minimum deposit is only $45. That is very small if you're opening up a betting account. Uh, You put four and a half, five bucks on every bet, and we'll make it last forever, pretty much. Uh, Well, I mean, we all get carried away, and that's a problem. But if we don't get carried away and we just grind this thing out, we'll just slowly add two, three, four, five bucks to your your ledger, and then once you hit a certain threshold, you start bumping up the wager size. But don't go crazy. That's the key. So let's head on over to mybookie.ag. You bet, you win. They pay. Sign up again. Promo code is hoopball. And uh, open up that account right now. You can join us on some of the fun. I think that's basically our show. I forgot to tell you guys about the lawnmower, but you guys know the deal on that now, right? Manscaped.com. Promo code hoopball twenty. Get it? Just get it. Keep making us look good. We got to move a couple more of those bad boys. We got to move product. We got to move product, baby gotta move product i'm dan baspris this is fantasy nba today a hoop ball presentation i do it slowly at the end in case i've forgotten anything please drop a five-star review on the pod if you have a moment particularly on itunes again back tomorrow with the great adam king have a great day everybody enjoy the games so long